The Rami's Aid Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Rami's Aid Show, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. My guest today is an absolute inspiration, Adrian Costa, former professional cyclist turned mountain climber, who on July 29, 2018, shortly after wrapping up his professional cycling career, Adrian was severely injured in a rock climbing accident, resulting in an above the knee amputation of his right leg. But that didn't stop, nor will it ever stop, Adrian from doing the things he's passionate about. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my conversation with Adrian Costa. This episode is brought to you by Cleanse on the Go. As potential sponsors approached me to advertise on my podcast this past year, I made a conscious decision to only bring on sponsors I absolutely believe in, and Cleanse on the Go is just that. A cleanse for me had nothing to do with weight loss, although it does that as well if that's what you're looking for, but more of a mental reset. I love the two-day cleanse option they have, but you have the choice of either a one, two, or three-day option to cater to your needs and wants. The beauty of Cleanse on the Go is its mobility. As most of my loyal listeners know, I absolutely promote a healthy eating and exercise lifestyle. But I'm a single dad, two kids, working 24-7, so to say I'm a bit busy is a ludicrous understatement. Cleanse on the Go is super easy to use. They're just small packets you mix with water. These small packets can fit easily into purses or pockets and are great for travelers, busy lifestyles, or embarrassingly lazy lifestyles, if that is you. As a listener to the Rami Zaid Show, you can get 17% off your order if you go to their website. It's simply cleanseonthego.com, one word. Pick the cleanse you want, and under discount code, just type in my first name, Rami, R-O-M-Y, and you'll receive 17% off. Do it, you'll love it. Now let's get back to the Rami Zaid Show. Adrian Costa, welcome to the Rami Zaid Show. Uh, thank you, excited to be here. So Adrian, you're a former professional cyclist who rode professionally for Hoggins Berman Action back in 2016 and 2017. And we'll get into your young career. I believe you're still 24 right now? Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. We'll get into that and the accident that changed your life forever. But before we jump into your incredible story, Adrian, a fun fact that I found is that you worked on a few different cheese and honey farms in the French Alps, which is so weird. And I love that. But I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about how in the world you fell into doing that. So my family's from France and I grew up like going every summer. And once I got really into bike racing, I'd kind of drag my family to the Alps and the Pyrenees and going on these like epic bike rides. We'd always stop at these little like cheese shacks or like little crepe crepe shacks, you know, on the side of the road and kind of fill up on like the local, the local food there. And it always really stuck with me, like how connected people in Europe and I mean, France, how connected they are with with their, their local surroundings. I don't know, I just found that really, really special. And that's something you don't really find as much in the US. And so, 
so yeah, when I was when I was kind of struggling with cycling, I figured I could I could do some soul searching while working and learning the craft in in some farms in some really incredible places. So, what what exactly do you do on a honey or cheese farm? The cheese farm is pretty intense. Like you wake up at four in the morning and milk the cows and then bring them out and then you have all the milk and you <laughs> start uh, fermenting it or whatever. So yeah, it's like a day long process. You know, you milk them in the evening again, and yeah, it's just it's just a lot of work, long days, and honey farm That's similar. Crazy. Things. So you were, you were doing everything from milking the cow all the way to making the cheese at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like fully in charge of the of the process <laughs> from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough to take some notes and you know that's still that's still in the back of my mind for retirement. So <laughs> Oh, the cheese and honey is in the retirement plan. I like it. Oh yeah. Yeah, that is the uh, the ultimate dream. <laughs> that's great, Adrian. Uh I you know, I want to ask Adrian and I do this to every one of my guests that start the show like this on how you start your day. And I've said this before on the show we've had athletes like yourself, celebrities, executive professionals, venture capitalists. And that question on how you start your day gets the most feedback from all my listeners. I would love, Adrian, on a typical day for you, how would you start your day? I think it depends whether I'm going out outside um, for the day or not. I mean, if I am, it's usually like wake up, eat some food and and get rolling. But yeah, if, if I have a little bit of time, I get my caffeine in. And then um, I try to keep up a meditation practice. So just sit for 20 minutes and sort of before I look at my phone, before I do anything, just check in with myself and, and see what, what's inspiring me and in what direction I'm trying to take the day. And that usually, yeah, really grounds myself and, and just sets, sets myself up for, for success for, for the morning and for the rest of the day. So is yeah. The meditation, that's Adrian, if you don't mind me asking, is this self-meditation? Are you getting this from a book or an app or where are you pulling the meditation practice from? Yeah, I, I do mostly just guided meditations. I, I've done a little bit of unguided, just, you know, self-meditation as well. But I do find that having someone to sort of help you keep moving through it and then um, bring you back into when you kind of drift off and <laughs> start thinking about X or Y, it's helpful to stay, stay on track. <laughs> right. And if you mentioned going outside, are you an early riser or, or night owl? I try to be an early riser. Yeah, I uh, love getting out and after it before everyone is. So, and out and after it, we'll get into cycling and climbing in a second. Are there any other alternate workouts that you're doing in in the morning, Adrian, or I guess afternoon for that matter, uh, besides the cycling and climbing? Yeah, I mean cycling, climbing, skiing in the winter. You know, I do a fair amount of gym work, especially in the winter as well. Yeah. But otherwise, like my girlfriend and I too, we just got in the habit of going for walks in the morning as well, just to get some air again when we when we both have time. So, love that. Yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. So, Adrian, I mentioned very lightly, and it was on purpose because I don't want to butcher your story. But to kind of set the tone for the listeners, I would love Adrian for you to let the listeners know about your story, and then. I'm going to have a lot of questions after about how cool this thing is and how cool your entire life is up to this point at a young age of 24. But can you please let the listeners know about your story? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess I would start the story as as a young kid who was aspiring to be to be a pro bike racer. Yeah, like I like I was saying earlier, my my family is from France. 
I'd go and spend every summer there and my grandpa was really into it. And so he'd take us out and watch the tour on the side of the road and, you know, collect all the goodies and, and then like bike around the neighborhood with my brother and pretend we were Lance Armstrong and <laughs> just, yeah, just, I remember just being so enamored with the sport and, and absolutely loving from a very young age, the, the exertion and just the, I don't know, just the physicality of it. And that, that flow state I was, I was able to tap into, you know, at like 10 years old, I just remember riding hot laps around my grandpa's garden for hours. I think it's that love of, of cycling on a very basic level of pushing myself and, and getting the most out of myself that allowed me as like a kid, you know, a teenager to, to already be winning like national championships and going over to Europe and racing with the national team. And yeah, I mean, things, things followed each other super quickly in that world and and doors opened. And before I knew it, I, I was getting paid to ride my bike. I was living in, I was living in France, had a car, had an apartment, just the whole, the whole shebang uh, down in Nice, actually just totally like heaven for, for cycling and for, for food and for, <laughs> for the ocean and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty quickly, the disenchantment started to grow as I, I was invited to several like pro team camps and, you know, placing at world championships for my age group and winning bike races that I had only ever dreamed of participating in just for the experience. And yeah, I just remember like one day where down where I lived in France, I would, I would cross like the best riders in the world, you know, guys like Chris Broom and Grant Thomas and all those guys and see them all the time. And I remember one day out on a training ride, just being, having this vision of like, wow, this is, this is going to be the next 20 years of my life. Like waking up, eating, going and training, eating, and then recovering and then eating again and then going to bed and doing it all over again the next day. And a lot of the years spent in random hotel rooms, far from your family, far from your friends and kind of getting thrown into this system where you really don't have much agency or creative expression anymore. You're just sort of expected to show up at these races and have this level of fitness and perform in this way. And that process repeats for the length of your career. And, and before you know it, like, I didn't, I didn't want to wake up and be 40 and be like, wow, now I'm empty handed. I've done nothing except ride my bike for 20 years. Yeah. And for, let me tell you, 40 is really, really old, man. I mean, yeah, 40 <laughs> is very long. Yeah. It just became this, this, this nagging feeling inside of me of like, I don't know if this is what I want anymore. I, I felt like I kind of had proven to myself that I could have done it, which like I was saying earlier was my goal since I was a kid. And once I got there, I was like, I don't know if I want to step in this door fully. Yeah, I mean that year, that year of of starting to think about moving away from racing was was probably one of the toughest years of my life. You know, that's when I spent the time on the cheese farms, and you know, it, it, it was tough because like for four days, you know, or whatever, I would be like, screw cycling, like forget about that. I'm gonna start thinking about how how I want to live the rest of my life, and then I'd, I'd 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 get back on the bike and be like, okay, maybe I can do this in a more in a more balanced, sustainable way and still have passions and interests outside of the bike. I think what I kept coming, coming up against was when I, when I want to do something, I want to do it as best as I can. And just returning to cycling in sort of a half-assed capacity, just because the opportunity was there based on what I had done in the past, 
did not feel like a road I wanted to go down. You know, if I, if I was going to go back into cycling, I wanted to be the best I could and, and pour my heart and soul into it. And I just didn't think I'd ever be able to do that again and to go that deep again. And so, yeah, eventually I had to face the, the reality that I wasn't going to, wasn't going to come back to racing. That was a super tough decision to make. The team was incredibly supportive of that decision and, you know, I'll be forever grateful to them for that and giving me the time to, to process all that. But yeah, eventually I came back to the States and, you know, I wasn't a bike racer anymore, which had been my identity for a good decade at that point. And, you know, I was only 20 years old, so that's half my life. <laughs> and I was lost. I was really lost. And I, I kind of grounded myself in school and it was around that period that I found climbing. When I was in, living in the Alps, I was basically using my cycling fitness to go run up mountains that <laughs> I could do in a, in a couple hours. And I knew like I wanted to, to learn the ropes in a climbing gym in the States. So got into it there. And I did, sorry to interrupt you, Adrian, but I did hear that when you first saw climbers or climbing, you thought they were, it was stupid, right? Is this <laughs> yeah. true? Is that true? Yeah, that is true. I mean, I, I've always been, and I still am like very like type two catharsis kind of guy. And I like endurance, endurance sports. And so like the idea of hanging around and like trying moves and hanging on a rope just seemed like kind of dumb to me. And like the amount of ground they could, the amount of ground they could cover was nothing compared to what I could cover on my bike. And so I was like, oh, cycling's way cooler. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So Ended up moving to up to Bend in that period as well. And um, Bend's obviously a big climbing and skiing town. And I uh, got into like ski mountaineering and that was rad too, because I still had a lot of fitness from from the bike. So I could I could go and, and ski one of our local local mountains before class and be in class by 2 p.m. and <laughs> you know, just do that a few times a week. But yeah, it was it was still a tough period in my life where I still felt like there was something missing and I was still just didn't really know who I was because I had kind of gone from, from cycling, you know, to still like being a little empty handed and yeah, I have these new interests, but it's not feeling that identity piece. Like, like cycling really did for me. Long story short, I'm kind of ambling around in my first summer coming back to school. And I had, I'd been on a road trip with a buddy of mine and we kind of drove around uh, the Northwest, Montana, Wyoming, so on and so forth. Eventually I ended up in, in the Sierras in California on, on my own. Yeah, I'd been climbing every day and I, I found myself alone on a quote unquote rest day. And I had decided to go try to link up a couple peaks near Tuolumne, this mountain called North Peak and this mountain called Mount Kness. And I was gonna climb, climb North Peak and then follow the ridgeline to Kness. The route I was going to do on North Peak was this snow slash ice route that was not really ice. It was very soft snow. And so basically it was out of condition, couldn't climb it. So I, I walked over to Kness. Yeah, I just remember being pretty off and being pretty like just not too stoked on being out, but also sort of feeling like I had nothing better to do than, than be out here. And so <laughs> I didn't really listen to myself. And I remember like stopping at this little alpine lake and jumping in for a little skinny dip and uh, considering just calling it a day there and just soaking in the views and, and just the power of the place and, and the silence up there. But, but there was still this, 
this thing in the back of my mind that was like, no, you got to keep pushing, you got to keep pushing because that's how you're going to find the way out. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I ended up like trying to take a shortcut up to the ridge through this big boulder talus field, just this field of massive boulders that were sitting. And it was early summer. So the snow was kind of melting and things were kind of shifting around. And I remember like stepping on a couple that, that were loose, but not really thinking much of it. And yeah, before I knew it, I stepped on the wrong the wrong chunk of granite it basically like flipped to the side and it was a pretty steep hillside so i fell down with it it ended up basically pinning my leg between two boulders right above my knee just in the in the blink of an eye just like that yeah before i really had time to like think about what was going on i i like freaked out and i threw my backpack off and ended up being out of reach <laughs> so i i didn't have food or water nor nor did I have like a working phone. And so, yeah, my only option was really to, uh, to start screaming for my life, which is something I can't really quite describe. It just feels like, it just feels like kind of returning to an animalistic sort of <laughs> like very instinctual place of, of pure survival. It was intense for sure. It's just like having your life hanging on by a thread and not knowing if I was ever going to get out of there for, for a little while. Um, so Adrian, and thank you for sharing. So you, you're, you're in this mountain, your leg is now pinned in this boulder, no food, no water, it's out of reach. You're screaming for your life. Is it, I guess, painting the picture, is there literally not a soul in sight around you is my first question. And then second is after the initial, I'm sure, pain and screaming, how long were you pinned on that rock? Well, to answer your first question, it's a fairly popular mountain. And so while I couldn't see anyone, I was assuming there were people that could maybe hear me from the ridgeline I was trying to access. And then how long I was there for, I was, I was probably alone screaming for 45 minutes to an hour. Thankfully, like really, really thankfully, a couple of climbers had heard me and had run up actually to where I was and got the whole process started. But yeah, it was a it was a it was a smoky summer, and the helicopter took a while to get get there. So, yeah, I was there probably a good seven or eight hours under that rock before yeah before it got lifted. That is crazy, Adrian. Thank you for sharing. And I want to come back to this, but going to cycling again, you mentioned you know your grandpa, age ten. You're a very humble guy, but you had a phenomenal junior career from 2012 to 2015. I think you won 12 times and you got picked up by Hoggins Berman action. I want you to describe that feeling. So you are very young. You're still very young, but very young at that age, getting picked up by this team. What was that feeling like getting picked up by a team? I mean, it's a very well-known team in the cycling world. What was that initial feeling like? Adrian? Trying to, trying to put myself back in my shoes back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was an honor. It's it's it was a team I had dreamed of riding for. It's Axel Merckx's team that was originally started in conjunction with Lance. And I remember at my first national championships, I'd gotten an, an autograph from from Axel and <laughs> had watched his team just destroy destroy the races. Yeah, it was an honor and a dream come true. And at the same time, it was like, you know, this is what I've been working for and this is just the next step. And, you know, I was already thinking ahead to, to, 
to, to what's to come after that. So in your cycling career, Adrian, is there a moment that you look back and say that was the best? It could be win, it could be situation, it could be whatever, but is there a moment in your cycling career you look back and say that was my biggest accomplishment? It's kind of a toss up, but I remember even though I didn't win the race, the tour of Utah where, where I finished second to uh to Lachlan Morton to me, that was that was a big one because it, it showed me that I could I could really be up there with the best, at least in the States, if not <laughs> the world's a bit of a overstatement, but <laughs> you know, some of the best racers in the States at least. And yeah, I just remember after that race being like, wow, like this is this is getting real. And, you know, I have a seat at the table now. And yeah, I just remember like really talking to my mom as well about like, okay, what does this mean? Like, work, what am I going to be able to do with cycling? Like all of a sudden it felt like the 10 years or whatever of hard work that went into it before were really, really, really starting to, to, to pay off and, and turn into reality. So growing up, you mentioned that earlier and thank you for that. Were there cyclists, you already mentioned Lance Armstrong. He's obviously, you know, one that anyone can say, but were there other cyclists you looked up to in your career? Yeah. The, my, my biggest, biggest idol was Contador, just his, his like attacking style and just, just his style in general of being just so aggressive and, and not willing to just play it safe. Like, like a lot of, of riders seem to do nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely my big inspiration. Well, you're you're aggressive too, and I'm bouncing around a little bit. But I I had heard, I think it was 11 weeks after your accident and losing your leg that you were back on the bike. Is that true? That is true. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> yeah, I mean the bike continues, and especially in that period, was a just a really powerful tool for me to reconnect with just that community that I'd grown up with and those people that have been by my side for so many years and not to mention that with a prosthetic it's actually at least for me it was it was almost easier to bike for four hours than it was to like hike for a couple hours yeah it was just a great way to like get outside and and kind of reconnect and sort of kind of come full circle with with my life up to that point and so now i'm i'm coming back to the the story of you on the rock and there was an article i read in cycling news this was back in february of 19 and you said it's a quote when I was stuck between the rocks, I realized that it was the tranquility that was going to save me, that I had to give into the situation because for the first time in my life, I found myself completely helpless. That one stuck with me, man, and almost put a tear to my eye. But can you describe, you're stuck in this rock, you go through panic mode, you go through screaming mode, and then in this quote, you mentioned the tranquility of the moment. And would love for you to talk about what that was like. Cause I, no matter what I read or listen to your story, there's nothing that I can do to actually put myself in a position like that. And I would love for you to tell the listeners what that tranquility meant to you. I think the seven hours that I spent under that rock after the initial panic, like you said, are, are moments I'm never going to forget. And I think it's, it felt like a, a really hard reset almost because up to that point, it felt like my life had been going just a million miles an hour. And I was sort of, it felt like I was the, you know, the author of my own book up to that point where, you know, I was able to make happen what I wanted to make happen and, and, you know, try hard enough and it became reality. But to have something like that happen that you have no control over and 
There's nothing you can do to make it be over. There's nothing you can do to make it reversible. You're like I said in that in that quote you found like there's nothing I can do except just accept the situation and and come to terms with it. And I think the tranquility piece comes from being in an environment that is objectively like uncaring about you but still just incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful to us. And so the juxtaposition of being in this this place that is just majestic with with where I was physically it just sort of drove home this realization that any of us are only ever hanging on to life by by a little thread and anything can can change our lives irreversibly in the blink of an eye it was just incredibly like incredibly humbling to realize that at the end of the day like, we're just we're just occupants temporary occupants of this earth i think it just gave me a lot of respect for for the mountains and for the natural world and our time and place in it because no matter what you do our, our time is limited here and so <laughs> i think it just gave me that perspective that that this little slice of life that that we do have is is super precious when we can find peace in in those moments you tap into that little bit of like immortality <laughs> this is a tough question but i want to ask it because now i think now even more so i mean you've been a rock star you said since you're 10 years old and now the things you're doing are even more phenomenal and inspiring on that moment in the rock do you look back and go yeah, that happened for a reason. And I'm going to take that and explode. Or do you look back and go, shit, I should not have gone up that rock that day. I'm just curious as to the mentality. And I know it's a super tough question, Adrian. And I was almost hesitant to ask it, but that's my job. And I want to ask you, do you look back and go, damn it? Or do you look back and say, you know what, that happened for a reason. And now I'm I'm doing this and this is my calling, so to speak. Or is it a combo of both? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely both. I think on one hand, it happened for a reason. And like I said earlier, I was very lost before in the days and months leading up to that accident. And I think I am really grateful for the realizations and the changes that it has forced upon me and in my life. But yeah, at the same time, and I can't lie, like the reality, reality is tough. Like losing losing a limb is is something you live with until the day you die and that simple realization is really tough to swallow still today it's like the issues i i have to deal with on a daily basis don't bring me joy or, <laughs> or happiness you know it's like just the reality is tough and and the discomfort and the pain and so on and so forth that's all here and it's not going away anytime soon it's just something i have to i have to live with but it's also something I have to accept and and just move on and, and and kind of just be grateful for what I am able to do and grateful for for what this experience taught me and continue on trying to make the the most of it, I guess. So. Well said. I have heard that you have quite the creams and lotion routine now that when you're going out. What what is that all about? Oh man, I mean, I uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like the saddle sores that that cyclists get. But I can like, imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's like these doors that are just insanely painful. And so I'll get those 
very easily from long days in the mountains, especially when I'm living out of my car, not showering for weeks on end. Keeping the skin healthy and infection-free is a daily crux. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a, a constant, you know, rotation of different of different products to try to keep things, keep things, keep things in shape. It's tough, like physical pain when you're when you're in an effort and biking or climbing or hiking up and like, yeah, it hurts, but at least you're getting somewhere and, and pain goes away as soon as you stop. Whereas the discomfort pain is just that's that's really tough because no matter no matter what you're doing like that's always with you and there's nothing you can do about it really and so i always say like that's honestly 90% of the pain in the ass of living with a prosthetic is that discomfort because the physical limitations the performance limitations yeah those can be overcome by just trying harder um, training harder trying different techniques so on and so forth but when you're in pain just walking around that's the worst so it's only going to get better though. I mean, the technology is improving and people say like a newer amputee, like it just takes a while for things to kind of settle down into their final shape and for the skin to toughen up and so on and so forth. So I think things will and have been improving a lot. And so it's only going to get what better. Does, Adrian, what does cycling do for you versus climbing or are they the same? Interesting. I mean, cycling for me now is, 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 is for the most part, like a very time efficient way to get some air and to sort of, I, I still really like to ride by myself and, and kind of reconnect and sort of check in and, and have some quiet time to just think and process. And it's really time efficient. So I can just step out the door and go on a little bike ride and for just a couple hours, be able to get some, get some air. Whereas Climbing is like usually takes the whole day, <laughs> very easily takes the whole day. But I think my focus and, and my goals are definitely a lot more in the climbing and mountaineering world. Just because my relationship with cycling, like, yeah, I do appreciate the bike, but but I'm never going to have the same level I did as before. And so I really have to approach it very intentionally and 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 be very mindful about what I'm trying to get out of out of biking because yeah it's it's never going to be the same feeling of of just of just flow and flying over hills as as it was before and so that makes it a little a little tougher to enjoy <laughs> yeah now where on climbing where do you see yourself taking climbing now and into the future i have some lofty goals i mean, i think what inspires me most is is objectives that require the whole gamut of, of skill sets from skiing for your approaches to glacier travel, to access the route, to technical ice and snow and rock climbing. And so it's kind of all the above. And so basically like that's what attractive to me because it's kind of the ultimate challenge physically, but mentally as well. And then technically you have to just be so on top of it in all those realms and so, yeah, in the last couple of seasons, it's looked a lot like me just trying to go out as much as I can and getting as much mileage in those different media as I, as I can, which, which has been awesome. And I've, you know, gotten to do a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, like this last winter, I was waking up at 2.30 in the morning, like several times a week, climb like Mount Hood or climb here locally or elsewhere in the Cascades. And that's like really draining. And at a certain point, I felt like I was kind of 
not really learning that much every time I was going out. And so what I'd like to move towards in, in this next season is moving towards objectives that take a few days <laughs> that are pretty out there. And my chance of success is, is a lot smaller, but those are the kind of things that are going to prepare me for those even bigger climbs that, that are month, two month expeditions where you really like have to be fully immersed in that process of, of making the climb happen for an extended period of time. And so, you know, it's getting used to things like climbing technical terrain with, with all your overnight gear and getting like those systems dialed and how to go light, but not too light, <laughs> so on and so forth. I just get so psyched just even talking about it. Cause like, I mean, I love rock climbing, but I equally love skiing. I love ice climbing. I love mixed climbing, which is like climbing with your ice tools on rock. I love big wall climbing. I just got back from a, from a trip to Yosemite actually, where, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's, if it's actually ever been done by a disabled person, quote unquote, but I rope soloed a, a route on El Cap actually, which was like, a, which was four days, basically four days of like really intense manual labor <laughs> of like, I have to lay myself up a pitch, like rappel down, set up the haul bag so that the haul bag can be ready to haul. I have to go up, back up the pitch and then I have to haul my bag up and then basically repeat the process. Like, 20 plus times. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that is one thing, Adrian, you'll never hear. Hey, did you hear Rami say rope soloed last weekend? That's not going to happen. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no. So that was super awesome. But like, yeah, it's just like, you know, one of, it's just one of the pieces of the puzzle to, to get where I want to be. So it's just been a huge, huge learning process that, that I'm just really psyched to, to keep chipping away at. And you, and you will, Adrian. Thank thank you so much for sharing that story. I know that these listeners to the show, it's mostly inspiration. And I mean, inspiration is all about your story. And I love it. And I, I thank you for sharing that. It's awesome, man. It really is. And I, I can hardly wait. I mean, you're 24. What you're going to do for the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years is going to be incredible. <laughs> as you're yeah, breathing we'll see, we'll see. one I day at a time <laughs> one day at a time yeah well, hey adrian i know you've listened to the show before and you know how i like to wrap it up with some fun rapid fire questions so if you're ready to roll man i'm gonna start ripping them yeah let's do it okay my first one adrian baseball is something we did not bring up today but i like asking this one to my guests in major league baseball players have a walk-up song. They walk up to the plate and there's something to get them pumped up, to get them focused, to get them ready to hit the ball. So Adrian, you're walking up to the plate with a bat in your hand. What song is playing? Oh man. <laughs> I'd have to choose a song called Jet Fuel by uh, by Mac Miller, actually. I've been oh, super, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to listen yeah, to that. Super into that, much to the chagrin and <laughs> worry of my girlfriend sometimes, but <laughs> it gets me pretty psyched, yeah. I uh, like it. All right. Next one. What is one thing Adrian Costa does not mind spending money on? Oh man. Like just trips, just go and hit in the road for sure. Gas money no problem. <laughs> do you, do you ever, do you ever Adrian? Cause I know you are outdoor adventure. Do you ever go on a vacation and just chill, like go to the pool and just sit there? I can't imagine you doing it, but I got to ask. That's been an aspiration of mine. Uh, hopefully we'll make it happen soon. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. That's awesome. All right. Next question. Favorite quote 
or quotes for that matter. Is there something that has stuck with you for a long time or as of late, is there a quote, Adrian, that you'd like to share with the listeners? I, I think one that just comes to mind that's pretty simple is, is simply the, the saying that's something along the lines of a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. To me, that's really powerful. And it's kind of, to me, it has these, these echoes of just self-belief and self-confidence and in, in trusting in the process of like, you know what, one step at a time, before you know it, you'll wait, you'll, you'll look up and you'll be there. So yeah, that's, that's one that I really appreciate. Love it. That's a great one. Next question. If you could choose, I got to take away all the adventure sports. If you could choose, Adrian, a completely different career profession, what would it be and why? Oh man, I think that'd be a toss up between like hardcore academia and philosophy or just being a farmer and kind of living off grid and, and kind of just going back to the basics. Those are polar opposites. I love it. Yeah. Yes and no. Yes and no. Maybe they're not as different as you think. I don't know. <laughs> why, why, do you, why don't you think they're that different? I mean, I think farming and, and sort of being very in tune with, with where your sustenance comes from is, is very much like simplifying your existence, which I think is, is a question that philosophers are constantly grappling with. It's like, what does it mean to exist? Love it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think there's some parallels. Oh, that's great. Okay, next question. If you were given a free 60-second advertisement during the Super Bowl, the biggest television audience on the planet in one day, what would you want to tell the world? I think I'd want to share some sort of message about the current environmental crisis we are facing, which is honestly quite stressful to think about. But but yeah, it is the existential threat of our generation and the generations to come. I think there's a lot of like fear mongering, mongering around that. If we could some, somehow share, share a message of, of us all being in this together and all our differences not really mattering at the end of the day, if we can't find a sustainable way to exist on this earth that we share, we're going to be in some, some deep shit. So, so yeah, I wish that entered the conversation a little bit more for sure. Great. Well said. Next question for you. If you were stranded on an island and could pick any celebrity dead or alive, you get to pick to be with you, who would it be and why? <laughs> don't they say you don't, you never want to meet your heroes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell well, you it's true. it's not ideal. <laughs> oh. But no, I'd love to, I think the writer Aldous Huxley would be really interesting. I'm sure you could have countless hours of fascinating conversation with that guy. Wow, that is a great answer. Well put. Okay, last one for you. This is my ultimate dinner question. We used to call it your last meal, but it was too morbid. So we call it the ultimate dinner now. There's no consequences tomorrow. You can have whatever you want, but what are on your plate or plates, Adrian? And then what's in the glass if you'd like something in the glass as well? Oh man, in the glass, I would say some nice red wine. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too snobby about my wine, but the meal, I don't know if you're familiar with raclette. I'm not, what is that? So raclette is in, it's this tradition in the Alps where you basically get a half wheel of cheese, so this massive block of cheese, and you have it over a little flame at your table. And so you melt 
you melt the cheese progressively and you kind of scrape it off as it melts. And so you have this melted delicious cheese that <laughs> you pour on top of various charcuteries and potatoes and so on and so forth. Oh man. So you just got a bottle of red and the cheese melting and you're good to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that would be a dream. <laughs> oh, that's great. Adrian, this was a super special hour for me. And I thank you again for, for your time and sharing your story. And I believe you have a story coming out. I think it's spring of next year called Transcendence. If, I, if I'm incorrect, please let me know. But would love for you to tell the listeners how to reach you and a little bit on, on that if I have it correct. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's our tentative name for the film. It's not set in stone yet, but, but yeah, there's this documentary coming out, hopefully spring slash summer of 22. We still have some shooting to do, but yeah, it's a movie that is going to basically tell my story and give, give a pretty brutally honest inside look into, you know, the things that I'm struggling with and the things that I am trying to figure out. And I think it's, it's going to be a film that that's going to explore a lot of different facets and, and angles of my life from like being in what it means to be an athlete and my evolving relationship to sport to, to, like I said, the things I'm struggling to, to grapple, the big questions I'm grappling with as a young adult, how to move on from like a, a life-changing accident and living with, with a disability. I'm, I'm really excited for this project to, to be coming to life. Yeah, stay tuned. I guess my primary social media would be Instagram. I'm at Costa Adrian with just one A in between the two. That's probably the best way to reach me. <laughs> I love it, Adrian. No, thank you. Is there anything, like I said, your entire life story up to the young age of 24 is inspiring in of itself, but is there anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with, something to motivate or inspire them as we sign off here? I don't know. I think I, I just want to say that I am just incredibly grateful for for everyone that's been that's been by my side and that's been supporting me from the cycling community to friends and family and the people I continue to be introduced to through climbing and through the adaptive world. Yeah, I just wanna say thank you to everyone out there that, that has been part of this journey with me and that wouldn't be possible without them. And I think that this whole process has just shown me that the most important thing that we have is, is our human connections. And so, yeah. Thank you all. Ended, Adrian. <laughs> I love that. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Rami. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again, listeners. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adrian Costa. You can find Adrian on Instagram and be sure to look for his documentary called Transcendence coming out in 2022. And you can find me at my website, ramizade.com. That's R-O-M-Y. Z-E-I-D.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and I hope you all learned something interesting.